Mr. Derek Veenhoff. He's better known as Deke. Nah. Drinking liquor with DJ Deke, we out laughing. Nah. Yeah, Deke. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to the DCast. I'm your host, DeCatello, and today I'm here with Ron Butler, mortgage agent from the GTA. Welcome, Ron. How you doing? So if we give uh, people a little background on Ron Butler, uh, your Twitter, these are not my words, but you say you're the big old overly opinionated mortgage broker and you're worried about the future of housing for average Canadians. Well, clearly big and clearly old. (laughs) <laughs> okay. uh, no question of that. The um, yeah, it gets <laughs> and it's getting more worrying by the day. <laughs> for sure. Oh, hundred percent. And it's a, uh, obviously a complex issue. And I want to um, shortly start with the basics and then get more uh, into the complexities if we can. But uh, yeah, tell us about yourself. Um, how long have you been doing this, and where do you come from, and that kind of stuff? I'm a twenty-five year mortgage broker in. Uh, Ontario. I've lived all over Canada and over, over the course of my life. And uh, we are a very big, big operation in terms of, well, not in terms of a bank and like a bank for like a insect, but uh, you know, we, our organization knocked out about $1.2 billion for the mortgages last year. We see thousands of applications a year. So our, our understanding of where the marketplace is on a day-to-day and you know real ground floor basis is, is very strong right so what if we could do like an explain like i'm five for people what are the key concepts around housing and mortgage that people need to know is it the bank of canada rate you know is it uh you know what are the five or six things i know there's many elements but for someone who maybe knows nothing about this stuff like what should they be thinking about to, to get a a better understanding of pricing in this. Like, if you've never had a mortgage, yeah, okay. Um, well, it's 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 this. It's like this. It, we start with a marketplace because nothing happens until you buy a home. You know, you you don't need to refinance. You don't need to renew. You don't need to do any of the other things you must do with a mortgage. Uh, if you have one already, uh, the first thing you have to do is buy a place to live. And I'd say about. of Canadians need a mortgage to accomplish that because the price of homes in most of the major cities in Canada, certainly the top three or four cities in Canada, um, the price of homes is ridiculous. It's the only rational way to describe it. And you need a mortgage. 80% of people need a mortgage. One in five actually don't. One in five people buy homes for cash. But definitely, if you need a mortgage, if you qualify for mortgage, the mortgage is typically based either on your income uh, or if you have massive down payment and aren't too worried about what the rate is, it's just based on being able to get a mortgage. Um, that's sort of oversimplistic, but that's not a bad summary either. What about the history of mortgages? Like, I never even really thought of it myself, but when we talk about four out of five need need one um back in the day let's say pick a random date was there a time where you just traded for a house or you bought a house with cash everybody bought a house with cash and then mortgages had to come along good question actually uh there was a time when you built a house uh there was a time when the average Canadian built their own house right um but we're going back one hell of a long time i mean we're going back into 
hundred or so years or something. Couple hundred years, right? Yeah, right. Couple hundred years. Right. Uh, you know, I, I so certainly mortgage has been an active business in Canada for at least one hundred and forty years, and uh, certainly in the last in the last fifty and in the last twenty five, it's just grown and grown and grown. So yeah, right. it's, it's a it's a function of cities. Mortgages are really a function of cities. If you go to the Caribbean islands, you'll often notice that there's a lot of unfinished houses. As you drive around the Caribbean or if you drive around Mexico, you'll certainly once you get outside of the city uh, in Mexico, you will notice there's a lot of houses that are half finished, three quarters finished, whatever. Um, because in some of those countries, there is not an efficient or effective banking system that can supply mortgages. And so people just have to save up some money, buy another 25 cinder blocks and try to finish the wall on this side today. I mean, they have to build a house with cash still in some parts of the world. You build a house with cash. Right. Um, you know, the, the, the system we have in Canada is one of the most efficient, effective banking systems in the world. And, uh, it, you know, the, the ease of getting a mortgage today, if you hit the criteria is, is very real. And, the ability to get a mortgage allows real estate to accelerate both in production of homes and in terms of individuals buying homes. In Canada, we have one of the highest rates in the world uh, of home ownership uh, for a major country, for a big economy like Canada with 38 million people in it. Um, we have about a 67% rate of home ownership in the country. Interestingly, the highest percentage of home ownership in the world is Romania, because when the communist government fell in Romania about 25 years ago, uh, they just gave everybody their own house. So if you're living in it, it's yours now. We're going to give you a title to it. So they actually have the highest rate in the world. But the average Romanian house is worth about 35 grand. So uh, it's, it wasn't that big a deal at the time. But yeah, we have a very high, very high rate of uh, it's it's all, it's just slightly higher than the U.S. But it, at about 67%, US about 63, 62. Uh, Germany's less. Germany's down around 59, 60%. Uh, Switzerland's even a little less. But uh, you know, the, in, the English-speaking countries, Australia, Britain, United States, and Canada, New Zealand, we love real estate. We all have these high 65 plus rates, 60, 64 plus rates of homeownership. Right, which is good compared to like we're speaking of other nations, but you're anticipating, we're all anticipating uh, as we go further into this and the prices rise that this is gonna be less attainable for a growing number of people, is that right? A growing number of people who are not in the process of your parents don't own homes and have a ton of equity, who's, um, yeah, who wanna live in cities. Um, obviously the price of homes in Brandon, Manitoba and Moncton, New Brunswick has gone up, but it's still affordable versus the big cities in Canada. Yeah, to give people, look, you, for example, a personal viewpoint from, from me, uh, I'm in the Niagara region, which is now getting very hot with prices, but I was lucky to buy my first home in 2018. Um, so uh, my home was purchased for under 250,000. Um, and I did it on just my own income, but I was lucky enough that I had multiple side jobs. I was a DJ. I did graphic design. I did all these other things that not everybody gets a chance to do or might not be doing. And, um, 
I saved and I, I got a mortgage. It was actually a vendor take back from the previous owner of the home, which was unique. I'd never heard of that before, but I didn't have to put the full 20% down in that case. I put 10% and I used the other 10% I had for renovations. So I got super lucky for a millennial sort of first time home buyer. Um, and, you know, every year they say, well, everyone's lucky who got in last year, et cetera, et cetera, the, the, the further you go. Um, but for a lot of my peers and other people, obviously younger than me, this is the sort of average Canadian um, person that we're talking about that. And obviously there's plenty of issues we can get into. And one of them is um, foreign investors and, and speculation. What, what can you say about that and um, money laundering and that in, in Canada and how that all relates to uh, jacking up home prices? Sure, it's a complex piece. Uh, I'd, I'd like to let you know that your situation there with a vendor take back mortgage at 10% is roughly one tenth of 1% of all the mortgages that were struck that year. So you, you've got yourself a very, very rare, rare beast. Okay. Super lucky. Uh, there you go. Um, so the influence of foreign money in Canada is like this. It is a distortion of our marketplace. When what we're talking about here is people coming to Canada for various reasons who want to move money outside of their home country and move it into Canada. And their preference when they move it here is to purchase real estate. And the reason behind that is twofold. Number one, they're, they have a cultural bias towards owning real estate in the countries that they grew up in. And number two, if you own real estate, the country that you took it out of can't call a bank and demand it back. If you put all your money into bank accounts, the people who are bringing the money from overseas, if you put three or four or five or $10 million in a bank account and left it there, the concern is that someday your country of origin will litigate you and say, you actually owe us all that money. We found it in the bank. Please, Mr. Bank, can you freeze that money till we're finished with our criminal investigation? So you can't do that if you put it into a house. You can't go to anywhere and say, hey, freeze the house. Uh, we don't have that kind of, we don't have those kind of laws in Canada. We don't have that. Like, civil forfeiture takes all kinds of time and energy and doesn't always work. So um, there's a reason why these people put money into real estate. It's quite clear. Now, just how much is there? Well, it really started a long time ago when... Um, there was the, the first discussion of turning Hong Kong over to China from uh, British control. Long time ago, 35 years ago, okay. Mm -hmm. uh, then it accelerated, uh, then that was a burst of it. Almost all those people just purchased in Vancouver who were, felt they needed to do that. And then about 20 years ago, after the huge increase in millionaires and centimillionaires and billionaires in China, uh, those people felt that even though they were doing great in China, China was booming and that they were making a ton of money, they also understood they lived in a totalitarian dictatorship. It was not a democracy. It's nothing like our country. There is really no rule of law. So they thought to themselves, you know what? We're doing really well over here, but we probably should put some of the money outside the country just in case this dictatorship got mad at us one day. And that makes perfect sense. So we feel roughly a quarter trillion dollars left China and came into Canada to buy real estate over the last 25 years. 
And the important thing to understand about that is when you don't have an attachment to the local economy, in other words, all your money is being made in another country, a whole different economy, a whole different way of life. That money, that, and that money, millions of dollars keep coming to you every day, maybe every month, maybe every year. And you want to get a certain percentage of it out. But you don't care as much what the price is. You just want to get the money out. Right. You don't want to pay or pay crazy, but by the same token, your goal is to buy the house. It's not like a Canadian buying a house who has to say, hey, I got to make, I make a certain amount of money. I can only afford a certain payment. I've got to, you know, watch my bills. I've got, you know, to watch my employment. I got all those things. You have somebody who might own the third biggest toilet seat factory in China, just wanting to push millions of dollars out into another country so that they have the security of knowing it's there. Another important thing to understand is it's, it is foreign money, but it's not necessarily a foreign citizen. Because what these folks who are multimillionaires in China did as they sent their children here to go to university. And those people found a path to Citizen. citizenship. Yeah. And once they were citizens, it, it was easier. And you always, therefore, you have an outpost family. You have, we can go to streets in West Vancouver where all of the houses are worth more than $5 million. And the, all of the income tax filings on those houses is so low, they actually get GST credits. In other words, they file for no, no income, even though they live in $5 million houses because all the money is coming in from China. Right. So it's a different world. It's a different way. And how it, and even though it's far from, you know, it, it might only be 6% of all the houses in, in Canada or maybe only 4 or 5% of all the houses in Canada, although it's concentrated in big cities, it's only concentrated in those cities. Like foreign purchase does not affect any of the, real estate costs in Castlegar or Tapas Casing or Sudbury per se, okay? But it's concentrated in big cities. And the key point is they didn't have to care what the price was. They just wanted to get the money out. So when you get, so they're not as sensitive to price. And that means, well, I want to buy this house. What is it offered for? Five million? Seems fair. Let's buy it. Well, the people who were selling the house probably bought it for like eight hundred grand eight years ago, and they they they're happy to see it go, but they're maybe scratching their head about why somebody's willing to pay so much. The reality is, the people who paid so much, it didn't really matter to them. And even if that's only one out of twenty five houses, that creates a new price point within a marketplace from people who don't care what the price is. Because they just want to get their money invested. Right. And that affects everybody's price because the value of the home of a home is what did the last person pay for the home, a, a similar home on the street? That becomes the value of your home. Right. And now you can see how that pushes the whole marketplace up. Right. And some of it is money laundering. Like all of the all of the money that comes out of Iran, which is a restricted country, yep. that's all money laundering. That's all, you know, there's there's people who I can introduce you to, oh, I can show you three or 400 houses in Richmond Hill, all worth more than four or $5 million. And literally nobody in those houses has a job of any description. So where did the money come from? I mean, right. it came from somewhere. And again, all of this stuff creates market distortion. And, and 
for people who, who live within the Canadian economy. And by the way, it's a really, really important point I have to make. I'm not anti-immigration. I'm pro-immigration. Like right. This country needs people. Right. I have no problem with the government of Canada bringing in 400, 425,000 every year. It's fine with me. Uh, I'm, in fact, I endorse it. I think it's a great idea. The only condition I lay down is I want those people all to want to have a job. I don't want to import a landlord class. That right. doesn't make any sense to me. Okay. Because all those people who come from other countries and get a job here and raise a family here, they contribute to Canada. They make us a better country. They pay taxes. They are, they're who we want and we need them. We just don't need people who are bringing money in to own houses and trade in houses and never actually have a job here and never actually open a real business here except being a landlord. Right. Now, a lot of great points. So obviously this creates complexities because like you said, it's not all money laundering. And I guess it would be hard to determine exactly which situations are or aren't. And like you said, with the kids of um, people that are coming over to actually go to school and become citizens, uh, that would obviously cause a problem if you're trying to stipulate something about foreign uh, citizens. But so about five years ago or so, is this when the 15 or 16 different measures were introduced to try to cool the markets down and what successes happened there or what things? That was, that was 2016, really. Okay. Uh, there had been a huge run up in prices in both Vancouver and in Toronto, GTA area. Huge run up and a bunch of kind of gentle measures were brought in. They were more severe in Vancouver because the problem was bigger in Vancouver. They were um, a, bit, a little bit less severe, but basically just just targeted on foreign ownership. Just the, the, the people who really didn't have a Canadian social insurance number, they weren't citizens, they weren't permanent residents. And it just it was just enough to take some of the edge off. And in 2017, basically in early 2016, they put the measures in first in Vancouver, that took the edge off a price run up there. They also put in an empty home tax in Vancouver, which is different. We don't have that in Ontario. They, they would, if, they, if you, they knew your house was empty, and you were living in some other country, they put an extra tax on it. Not much. I think it was only about one and a half percent. But it, it just caused a little shiver in the marketplace. And prices slowed down. In fact, in parts of the GTA, they actually reversed in the second half of 2017. Prices actually went down. Okay. Mm -hmm. But now we're in a whole different thing. COVID's created an entirely different thing. COVID has created a rush from end users who want to escape their condos and because they're just too small, 500 square foot condo too small. You know, a, a 500 square foot condo is fine if you were only sleeping in it. Like that's all you did. You just got like went home, took a shower, went to bed, got up in the morning, had a shower, went to work, and you never ate in the 500 square foot condo. You just ate, and, you know, you just went to the bar, you went to the club, you went to the you know, went to a restaurant and then you hung out with some of your buddies or you, whatever. You yeah. just, or you work late. You worked all the way till eight o'clock and grabbed some takeout on the way home, ate your condo, went to bed, started the whole thing again in the morning. On the weekends, you just went out to the park or you went to a sporting event. Or something. But COVID changed that. You had to actually sit in this goddamn 500 square foot condo and work. Right. Just, Freaking appalling. I mean, that's just appalling. I mean, I, like it, you know, by the end of the second month in that 500 square foot condo stuck in there, like you bought a puppy, uh, you, you know, you, you've watched everything on Netflix you could watch. I mean, you've, uh, 
uh, is horrible. So you start thinking about, I need to get into a bigger space. And if you have a job that's continuing, like let's imagine you're a guy in digital and you're, you kept working, you didn't lose your job, you just kept on working, you're making the same pay, you're stuck in this 500 square foot condo and there's nothing to do downtown, downtown was a wasteland, so let's move, where should we go? Well, we're working from home, we might as well go to Guelph or let's go to Orangeville or let's go to Niagara. Niagara, well, yeah, yeah, go to Niagara, maybe go to uh, St. Catharines or something, but that's where I am. That's where you are. Okay, so go somewhere far where the house or the townhouse is affordable, where I can get, oh, and at the same time, the Canadian government through the Bank of Canada has dropped the interest rate so low. Yeah, it's the lowest rate in the history of history. Right. There was never this low rate ever in all time. For all since they started keeping records, there was never reached this low. Okay, so two things happened at once: need to buy, need to find a bigger space. Lowest rates ever existed, and there was a boom in housing, which is kind of counterintuitive when you think there's a worldwide plague going on and an economic catastrophe for a lot of people. Right? Nobody really thought in March of twenty. 20 that this would be the biggest real estate year in the history of the country either no, no one would have thought that now right? i have to correct you there because i thought that but i have no education or knowledge or reasoning to why i would know that but i had all my friends saying there's going to be a housing crash and i was like i don't know stocks are doing really well the u.s stock market i feel like there's this like these asset bubbles that just aren't going to pop but i don't know anything it was just a total 50 50 guess i haven't you pulled it out of your rear end and you were right there yeah. You go. yeah exactly but uh, again, speaking of, so you mentioned low interest rates. So obviously we sort of follow suit with the United States uh, when they lower their rates, we tend to lower them. But Our rates are actually always lower than the US. Right. Okay. So we call, they call this quantitative easing. Is that right? Is that the sort of that's idea? One of, that's one of the features. That's not the only reason, but it's one of the features. Yeah. Oh, okay. And so how is that money printing and inflation and low interest rates? Uh, how can we explain that for someone that maybe doesn't quite get it? Nobody actually prints money. That's right. a, you know, there's actually probably less physical money in circulation, paper, you know, bills in circulation than there was 20 years ago. Sure. But uh, the concept is simple in a way. It's complex in practice. It's simple to think about it. The Bank of Canada takes assets off the hands of the commercial banks and supplies them with cash. Right. So now the banks have what we call liquidity. Liquidity is just a fancy word for cash. Yeah. They got they got money to lend. Right. And the other thing they did was they dropped the prime rate for the Bank of Canada down to the lowest possible levels. While simultaneously, after doing those two things, they decided we'll keep buying. The Bank of Canada will buy the government of Canada. I know this gets a little confusing. What's the difference between the bank and the government? But they actually are two totally separate entities. Bank of Canada, government of Canada, two separate things. Yeah. The Bank of Canada started buying the five-year bonds that the government of Canada issues, right. and this pushed the price. Anytime there's a lot of buyers, it pushes the price down, right? If you got, uh, it, it doesn't matter what the product is. I mean, if you 
if, if there's somebody always willing to buy it at a certain low price, then that is the new low price. I mean, they set the price by buying at that price. Right. And there's no reason. Why would anybody pay more if the government's buying for X? Why would I pay more than X? It doesn't make any sense, right? Yeah. So there's those three different measures, which is sometimes referred to as quantitative easing. It just dropped the interest rates through the floor. I mean, you know, we were doing five-year fixed mortgages for 1.49% back in October, November. So it's gone up a little bit since then. It's gone up like 199, 209, something in that range, but still one four. 0.49. Like if inflation is running 2%, right? <laughs> if I give you an interest rate of 1.49%, the money is effectively free. Like I'm right. subsidizing the money to you because your wages are going up 2% a year and the interest is only 1.49. Um, great deal for the public and, the, and a lot of people took advantage of it. So you combine all those things, super hot house mar housing market. The only issue we're confronted with today is it's gone nuts. Like it doesn't make any sense anymore. There's no rational thought behind the prices people are paying. It doesn't, it doesn't make any sense. No. And what can you say about, you've grilled some uh, politicians and some top, uh, some uh, speakers lately. Like, what can you say about some things that politicians have lied about or said, or knew that they were going to get into that, that then caused more problems. You've been, you've been hot there on Twitter given the hot takes lately. But, you know, it's hard to say that politicians actually lie. You know, like, uh, you'll never catch a politician, you'll rarely catch a politician saying, uh, yeah, I, uh, you know, let's just this Gates guy in the state says, yeah, I never went out with those young girls. And then, oh, look, here's the pictures of the young girls uh, with you. Uh, you don't normally, it's not normally a blatant lie like that. Politicians use misdirection. So politician would say, we, you know, we, we in our, in, in Twitter, some of the people who care about this stuff on Twitter, we talked about the fact that the only rational way to help young people get into this market at some point in their lives, if they're not in it already, if you're if you're 25 and you're on in the market, you, you haven't got, you don't own a home, and the average price of a house is a million dollars or more, I think your default position is I am screwed. Yeah. I will never own a home. Okay, uh, I, I may I, I may just have to inherit mom and dad's house is the only hope I possibly have. Okay, uh, which is depressing at best and and bad for the economy at worst. So we we posited the idea that the the only effective manner to try to help people get to rational house pricing is that the rise in prices has to stop. And in reality, it would make more sense if the prices actually started to come down. Even if they came down 10% from this totally batshit crazy levels that they're at in southwestern Ontario and probably even Ottawa too. Um, which are, the politician's immediate re response to that was, no, 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 we can't let anybody lose 10%. Well, dude, the prices have gone up 30% in a year. Right. So they, if, a buy, if somebody bought a year ago, they're still up 20, and you're right. saying they can't come down 10? Right. You're saying that your government is fundamentally opposed to any drop in price? Any? At all? I mean, there's a lot of technical stuff we could get into about just how crazy that is. But I don't think anybody who's listening has to stop to themselves and say, well, wait a second, it's gone up 30%, and it, you, you can't allow it to go down 10? 
And and since twenty since twenty two thousand and five, it's gone up three hundred percent. Yeah. But we can't go down ten percent. I mean, what's that all about? Like, what is that even rational? But that's that's the politician's position. And um, a couple things come to mind. You you mentioned using the concept of using your house as an ATM, which is what some of these people are are looking at it as. And also what you just said about uh, how crazy it is. Isn't it true that in Canada, it's even more crazy than it is in the States, the UK? The, yeah, like it's, yeah. It's, yeah. yeah, we have we have a higher level of debt to GDP than all of these countries. We have a higher level of consumer debt than all these countries. And we have some alarming levels of government debt. The federal government uses calculation methods to say, well, really, we're, we're fine. We're, we're good compared to other countries. But let me give you one number that's important that everybody should realize who lives in Ontario. Ontario is the most indebted, non-sovereign state on earth. So in other words, we're not a country, right? We're not a country. In Ontario. Ontario is just a province. We have more debt in Ontario than countries have. Like we can go through many African and Asian countries who have less government debt than the province of Ontario. Nobody comes close to us who who is not a country. Like no U.S. state, no other province. Do you mean to no GDP other... in a relative term, or not the absolute term, but in... absolute, absolute, oh, absolute, oh, absolute. Okay. No, 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 not even, not even a comparison <laughs> method. Okay, okay? okay, like absolute numbers. Okay, California right. has thirty-eight. It's, it's the same size as Canada. There's thirty-seven and a half million people in it. Okay, their state debt is not as high as Ontario's, and not not even in the same category. Okay. Right. What the hell sense does that make? That, that's like crazy stuff. It makes no sense. So you combine that with the consumer debt. Look, we're at, we, I have people talking to me every day who are casually talking about a million-dollar mortgage. Right. So when I started in this business 25 years ago, a million-dollar mortgage was only applicable to commercial buildings. Like there's like once a year somebody had a million-dollar mortgage on their home. I mean, mm-hmm. it was staggering and it was the biggest house on the bridal path or something crazy like that. I mean, it was right. just it. it was all crazy stuff. I mean, no, no, no one ever, everybody's talking, oh yeah, I think I'm going to need a million. I might need a million. I might need a million one. We're not sure where the bidding war is going to settle down. Like I found myself, sweet Jesus. I mean, you have like a, you have like a pretty normal income, you know, like you're doing okay. You're, you know, you're making maybe a hundred grand a year, which is great. Okay, great to have a salary of a hundred grand. Spouse is making about forty-six. Well, how is this going to work? Okay, like yeah, yes, admittedly, you have a big down payment coming from your from your sale of your condo, but you're going to have a million dollar more. A million dollars, you know, that's like seven times your income, and you've got to somehow live too, right? Which, by the way, takes us to the next most insidious, hellaciously bad thing about this. Huge mortgages, hugely expensive real estate. You don't have any other money. I mean, you just pay your bills, pay your mortgage, buy food, put clothes on your kid's back. And you're going to have to put your annual trip to Cuba on a credit card because there's no friggin' money left. 
okay, right. at the end of all this. Right. All so right. saving in retirement is is the other the other goal that will be foregoed or well let, yeah, but when you talk to those people, they just tell you, well, the house is my retirement. Right, okay. right, right. I, so I'm, yeah. I'm buying a one point two five million dollar house and it's gonna go to five million in, in you know twenty years. So I don't have anything to worry about. Okay. Right. But how is that possible? And, the, and maybe we could circle back to the cool, how to cool this off. What, like, how is it possible that it could continue to rise indefinitely? And also if we're going to try and cool it down, what are the measures, what are the practical measures? Like we talk about 2016, they put a bunch of sh- small measures in place in certain spots. What are the big levers that we can pull or that we should, or when, what are the, the side effects perhaps of any of those levers? Well, the side effect is always the same. It's the, th- it's the thing that politicians hate. It's, it's the reversal of house prices. Right. The, the thing that is, is, is the, the thing you can't talk about if you're a politician. We can't talk about... There's two things you can't talk about as a politician in this country. You cannot talk about a assigning capital gains tax to primary residents. We have no capital gains on primary residents in this country. If you, when you buy and sell your primary residence, if it went up triple, you're good. I mean, you don't pay a nickel of tax, not a penny. Pay some land transfer tax. That's about it. Okay. And only if you purchase again, if you sell it, you don't pay a thing. That's your money. You keep it. There's no tax. Okay. So there's two things you cannot talk about if you're a politician in this country. You can never, ever talk about it. You can't talk about ever putting a capital gains tax on primary residence. And you certainly can't talk about any deliberate measure to roll back house prices. You're not allowed to talk about that, not allowed to say it. It's got to be, it's, it's forbidden. And yet it's easy. I mean, you know, I, if, it, if I was in charge of the Department of Finance, I could change three mortgage rules and stop the growth of house prices dead. And what would those three be, Ron? You're on can't the say it, get in too much trouble. Can't okay. talk about it. I can't, I can't, I can't talk about it. I get in too much trouble. <laughs> I would literally have the president of the Mortgage Workers Association, the president of the Real Estate Association. Dang I, it. I might even have a couple of politicians phone me and say, you are, a, certainly on Twitter, everybody say, you are a crazy person, a danger to the public. Okay. But yeah, it's simple. It's simple. You can stop this thing overnight. Now, what's the harm? What's the damage done? Damage done is the crisis reverse. There's, uh, there's some real legitimately awful things happen to people who are in the middle of a transaction because we experienced them already in 2017. People had bought a house in February of 2017. They had to close in June or July of 2017. They couldn't sell their existing house. Like the market dropped off, the market quieted and dropped off that quickly. They couldn't sell their existing house for the price they expected. Sometimes they barely could sell their existing house at all. They, therefore, the price, the price that they could get for the existing house went down, so they didn't have enough down payment that they expected for the next house that they were committed to, that they'd given a $50,000 deposit on. And those poor people felt sheer terror and had dire economic consequences. Now, statistically, there are not many of them. Like in the whole, in the whole dynamic of all the people who own houses in Canada, that was not a huge number, but small number, in fact. But a horrible, horrible experience like a, a monumentally bad experience to go through. So will people suffer to, to try to correct this runaway price train? Yeah, there'll be some people who suffer for sure. 
Right. So there may not be a perfect solution, but what do they rhyme with? No, I'm just kidding. Um, <laughs> what about like people say build more houses like that? They literally would just type in all caps, build more homes as if that's like a overnight solution. Like how do, can we talk about supply and demand? Like are the, is there a problem on the supply side? Is it the building materials are so expensive now? Like what is going on there with building homes? Great question. Uh, you know, I, I know you're supposed to say that to an interviewer. It's a great question, but actually, it's a great question. Okay. Uh, first of all, a quick point about the price of homes. Sorry, about the price of building materials. The price of building materials has taken a shocking increase in the last five months. Crazy as hell. Like uh, two by four used to be four bucks, thirteen bucks now. Like that's crazy, crazy, crazy. But it's all about supply chain interruption. It's all about closing down timber mills. It's all about sending the guys home who cut the trees down. I mean, it's all about, oh, can we bring them back now? Can we open the mill safely? I mean, actually, I'm kind of enjoying how high the price of this lumber is. Let's sell the lumber we have before we open the mill so we get super profit out of it. Let's try that. I mean, so there's a, but it's all supply chain reasons. That's what it is. Yeah. You probably noticed there's a lot of trees in Canada, right? And you're driven around, you probably noticed a ton of trees. Okay? I live in like a forest, essentially. I live in a forest with homes in the middle of it. Kind uh, of. So they, we're not short of trees in Canada. We're good. Okay. Right. So it's strictly a supply chain problem. By the way, drywall is just sort of dirt and glue thrown into a processor and then it comes out the other end. I mean, like a drywall comes. So it, yeah, it's, it's a, we're not short of dirt and glue in this country. We can build some more. We can get some more drywall going. Okay. Right, right. But, so this is a temporary, very, very temporary thing. Very temporary. Okay. So that solves itself. But the question of the supply is a real issue. And here's, if you want to address in an intelligent way what the supply problem is, I'll tell you what it is. In this country, we are 36 out of 37 countries in how long it takes to approve new homes. We have so many people, so many layers of government, so many people with their hands in your pockets, so many people just have jobs just to look at some plans and then say, okay, I'm okay with it. What do you think, Charlie? And they push the plans down to the next desk and that just sit there. So I'll give you an idea. To build a subway station in Paris, Paris is a big town, right? I mean, that's a real city. That's full of people. I mean, there's buildings there. There's things, you you know, it's people there like the people who do this building of the subway station don't, they don't work for free. They have, they they have real unions there. They can make real union wages. It costs to build a subway station in Paris. One ninth of the cost of what it builds a subway station in Toronto. So you got to start, start, people got to start asking questions of government. Wait a second. Uh, you know, why don't we have enough subways? I mean, we've been talking about subways in Toronto. We've been talking about light rail transit. I mean, we had a premier who even said she was going to build a bullet train, like one of those Japanese trains that goes so fast, you you know, um, the Mission Impossible guy has a hard time landing a helicopter on it. Okay, right. it goes so fast, right? So uh, there was all kinds of talk about that. Probably spent a billion dollars on the study for it. Oh, yeah, we, we just threw that out. We, we, we're not doing that anymore. That's gone. So... If you think about the stupid way that we approach infrastructure in Canada, we are literally by survey and by studies of around the world, the stupidest and most expensive people about doing it. And the other horror show is 
that government becomes addicted to these taxes. In the city of Toronto, you have a double land transfer tax. By the way, land transfer tax is a provincial tax, came in a little bit over 10 years ago. There was no tax like it before. Government just dreamed it up, just pulled it right out of their rear ends, said, yeah, we're gonna have a, we're gonna have a new tax. And we're gonna call it a revenue tool, but it's actually a tax, land transfer tax. And then Toronto put up their hand and said, well, you know what? We're the biggest city, we have the highest prices. Let's us have the same tax, we'll double it. In Toronto, it's double land transfer tax. So they become addicted to taxes, fees. They go to the developer and say, developer, you want to submit an application to build 25 houses? Yeah, we're going to charge you like a million dollars to submit it. And then we're going to think about it for a while. Holy mackerel. I mean, like it's, right. so it, it's not just that supply is hard to do because the government is so ridiculously slow in approval. They are ridiculously expensive in everything they do. But Ron, you said we have the largest debt, so we need to increase all the taxes so that we can pay it off. Because when Derek does his taxes and donates his $14 extra to the the provincial debt, it's not really making a dent. So, um, you know, is this a... This is the modern conversation of economics in the world today. Is it... Do we just do the modern monetary policy, just keep printing, keep spending, and it's all going to benefit, and there's no issue with it? Or is there something to be said about this Austrian school, these Austrian school school guys? Uh, you know, where well, listen, you know, I'll tell you the facts on that, Derek. I mean, modern monetary policy might be terrific because I'm fine. I'm 64. I'm going to be dead before <laughs> anybody knows it's wrong. When when everybody when Derek finds out in 20 years, holy. Jesus, I am screwed with this. I mean, I, I'll just be dead. Right. And you'll think, oh my God, my taxes just went to eighty percent of my income, uh, and uh, I, I and, and everything's gone to hell in a handbasket. Butler thought it might be bad, but <laughs> son of a bitch died. He got out from under this thing. Okay, right. um, so I I don't really have any skin in that game. I mean, yeah. it, I mean, at the end of the day, I think we have to agree it's ridiculous. I mean, we have to say to ourselves, it's ridiculous to think that our deficits could go from, we used to worry about a deficit of $38 billion a year in Ottawa. We are now totally not worried at all about a $380 billion deficit, a 10 times bigger deficit, nobody gives a damn. It's fine. Modern monetary theory, you don't have to worry. Well, you know, and you right. saw this in the States, uh, obviously, too, with, with Trump and a lot of the Republicans seeming to stop caring about spending so much when yeah. a Republican was in there and the spending of course went through the roof and it's even more, it's increasing and increasing and the debt obviously increasing there as well. And um, a lot of the world economy sort of is based on the United States system. So uh, yeah, it doesn't sound like these are great situations um, for everybody. Not great, but you got to remember it's not fair to compare us with the United States. And there's a really important reason not to compare us to the United States. Yeah. The United States spends more on the military than the other than the next eleven countries combined. Right. And people think China's going to have a big military. It's actually sweet FA compared with the U.S. Okay. So here's the thing: if you want to borrow a lot of money, it helps that nobody can actually ask you to pay them back. Right. Like, you know, you would say, "Well, you United States, you borrowed a lot of money. You better give us all our money back now." And the United States says, "Nah, I, we're going to just keep paying the interest, like we said." Well, I, I'm not going to live with that. Well, listen, we'll just bomb you into oblivion. So I guess you are going to live with it. For sure, you're going to live with it. Right. But, you know, people think that's a facetious remark. But when you talk to economists who study world economies, yeah, they all say the same thing. It helps 
very much, if you're a borrowing nation, to have the biggest military power on earth, which is not Canada. Like we could probably repulse an attack on Niagara on the Lake. Maybe, yep. maybe not. I don't know. Okay, you know, but it, we couldn't sit and stop anybody from c- taking over our country, except we have the United States on the border who doesn't want anybody taking over our country. Unless exactly. It's, it's so, kind of a sweet spot to be in. We don't have to. Pretty sweet. Much of the super world. sweet. Super sweet. Yeah. Super sweet, but we've sort of wasted the money. Like if you think about it, we've kind of wasted the money on stuff that hmm. doesn't make sense. Like I, 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 you know, can anybody explain why it takes nine times as much money to build a subway station in Toronto than Paris? Right, like, right. No one could ever explain that. It's just, it's just unknown. But it contributes to what's wrong with housing supply because it's everything's hard to do. It's super hard to do. And we've got a government who also says we have to be not just a government, we have government and opposition. The whole political spectrum says we've got to be really, really careful about not building on agricultural land. So the place where you're at in the forest, you got a bunch of people saying well, you can never build any more houses in the forest. It's a forest. We're going to leave it alone. Yeah. Really? I mean, you know, like we got a lot of forests. There seems to be a this seems to be like I've driven it from, I have driven from. Vancouver to Toronto. I've driven it. Have you ever, you ever driven it? I did drive from Banff to St. Catharines once in the winter, in the dead of winter, actually. I'm going to ask you a question because that's that's a good piece of territory to cross in the winter, as you know. Okay. Yeah. Did you notice that it was very full of houses and people when you were driving from Banff to St. Catharines? Uh, there was, it looked like nothing uh, until you got to a couple of the cities. Like it was just barren nature. Like, Empty. It was empty. Okay? Empty. It's a giant empty country. Let's face it. In Saskatchewan, it takes you a day and a half to lose your dog because you can see him from your top story window for about a day and a half as he's right. wandering away. Okay. Right. So we're an empty country, but we have weird political thought processes around zoning, around city growth, around it's stuff that actually doesn't make a lot of sense. But the real worry we have in Canada is this. These prices are crazy for the real estate. I mean, you know, everybody says, well, we can't think about real estate right now. We can't think about all these problems right now. We can't think about all this debt right now. We got COVID. Yeah. Okay. We got COVID. And it's so important. And it dominated our lives for 15 months. And so it should. It was so important. It was so dangerous. It was so overwhelming. Okay. All that stuff is true. But we have vaccines now. And as bad as the third wave is, and I'm telling you, in parts of Toronto, it's it's crazy how bad it is. It's still going to be gone. Like like Israel is finished. Israel is essentially finished vaccinating with the yep. Pfizer vaccine. Yep. Their nightclubs are shoulder to shoulder with people like uh, with their shirts off, throwing sweat on each other in the nightclub, dancing oh, yeah. to the electronic dance music. Okay, yep. I mean, like that's real. It's yep. fixed. They fixed it. There's still some cases. There's still some people who do have to be, a few people have to be hospitalized. But people don't die. And the the the, the people recover quickly. And that's, we, we see what they do in the States. They go to a baseball game. 40,000 of them go to a baseball game. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So it, it will be fixed here soon. As bad as it seems right now, and it seems bad. Yeah. It's going to be fixed here soon. It's going to be fixed by Labor Day, I would suspect. Okay. I would agree. So we got to start thinking about the other stuff 
we haven't been thinking about for the last year. Yeah. Yeah. Because it's going to bite us in the ass. And well, I was just thinking about this, Ron. And, uh, you know, as a DJ, I'm anticipating this as well, right? Because I have an income I got to get started again in, in that respect. And I do think what you just said is so true that we don't even realize it because uh, it has taken over so deeply our day to day life and our arguments and our politics and all this stuff, getting everybody ratcheted up. But we do need to start thinking about the other side because you're right, the vaccines are super effective, um, more effective than they thought they were going to be um so yeah that's vaccines work i mean bottom line no matter what you want what you the weird stories that people love to tell on facebook about bill gates net you know he's putting in a implanting you with some oh trust me we've covered it on this podcast many times we're a pro science podcast so we've gone through all the debunking and i even get slack for it sometimes but you know you're doing the right thing you're doing god's work okay that's great. Um, and maybe um, one final topic, or if you have anything, but I, I wanted to throw in wages as a as a concept. I mean, you know, people say that that's a big component too, is you know, minimum wage and and better jobs and that kind of thing. I mean, how how does that relate, or is that something we shouldn't touch? You know, no, that's something we got to think about. And the, the problem, you know, the problem we have in this country is this housing thing hurts everyone. You know, if you if you wanted to open a business in this country. Wouldn't you just think about flipping houses? Like, serious, I'm not, I'm not, this is no BS. This is like, I'm serious. You, you know, if, if you were coming out of an MBA, coming out of Queens, and you were thinking about your career moves and the business you'd like to start and the work you'd like to do, wouldn't you think about flipping houses as, as a real legitimate yeah, I gotta find some beat up old house, and I'm gonna, I'm, a, I'm an MBA. I can figure out the lowest cost and to flip it. I can figure out the maximum price I can get for it. I can find out the cheapest financing because it, people are making, are minting money. So Weston, Weston, the Weston family sold their bakery that they've had in their family for 126 years, just so they could concentrate their money on real estate because they're making so much more money in real estate. We don't give a shit about breaking, making bread anymore, especially since they caught us fixing the prices and the prices aren't as good as they used to be. So uh, we're, we're, we're getting out of our, our, our business as, as basic as baking bread. And we're just going to concentrate on building condos is where we're going to devote ourselves to. Um, when you think of those two things, that person coming out of, that, that woman coming out of Queens with an MBA and the Weston family saying, well, the hell with the, but feeding people, we're going to focus on the condos. Okay, when you think of those two simple ideas, that's what's keeping young people. One of the things, not the only thing, but one of the things keeping young people down is you guys are spending. Like, the only, the only real hope that I have is not to build a business, or not to open a business, or not to do something creative, or not to do the, the work of building up a, or opening a store, or even opening. I shouldn't even be paying attention to developing a new app. Because I should just flip houses or I should just, you know, focus on the stuff where there's leverage. Which is all bad. Okay. We want people to develop new apps. We want people to be creative and uh, young people to be creative, young people to develop apps, young people to develop new businesses, young people to uh, join with others as employees of new businesses. But right now, the only good thing is to become a tradesperson. Okay. Uh, To be an electrician, to be a plumber, to be, uh, you know, that's, that's, and those are great jobs and we need more of them. But the idea that everybody should be selling condos to each other is crazy. 
that's a crazy idea. And it hurts young people because there's less business opportunities because that is not a way, there's no factory. Sure, we keep some tradespeople busy for a few years, build the condo building, it's all over then, it's finished. There's no more labor costs, there's no more wages, there's no more nothing after that condo's built. And I guess it means you have to just build as many condos as we possibly can. But that's not a solution to millennials having better jobs, making more money, help. I, I, you, we, let, let's raise the minimum wage to 18 bucks. Let's just go gradually. Just go one year at a time. Let's, let's. They did it from 10 to 14 and it wasn't that. The big. world didn't come to an end, right? No, Nothing and they said stuff. it was going to come to an end, you know, and it's, it, I'm sure things changed a little bit here and there or whatever, but um, I do think that is, it is an interesting debate, the minimum wage thing. And even if, uh, if people look up minimum wage on Wikipedia, say, for example, it's not like a clear cut issue. There are, there are a lot of factors and it's a complex economic debate but yeah like you said that you know they do it gradually over four years or whatever but look, but look at your own situation would you say that you've made more money than anything else just on the increase of your house value uh yeah yeah up to this point i think so like uh you know like i said uh i bought it for about 240 and uh it i don't know we've had it appraised sort of in uh indirectly for you know it could be three three fifty or more than that three seventy I don't I don't really know there's houses in my neighborhood going for five six hundred I mean a little bit bigger homes than that but um you know but, is, but isn't that a fundamentally wrong thing that a person who's working as many jobs working the gigs as hard as you are trying to figure out new ways of making money just magically to, yeah but but the but the real benefit to you has been something that is just accidental okay Exactly. Um, yep. And yet it's no help to you because if you sold for 340, I would have to buy, buy for 400. It doesn't know. And that's what I don't get either is that everyone says, Oh, this is great for homeowners. You, you good thing you got in before the Like, why, why is this good? Like if I want to turn around and live under a bridge tomorrow or go rent uh, and have a bunch of cash, uh, maybe, but that's not my goal. And then, you know, people need homes to live in. Right, Ron. Isn't that right? People need homes to live in. People, the benefit of a house should be that you raise a family there, you get to know your neighbors, you're comfortable in your neighborhood, you're happy where you live, uh, that you can stay there for a long time, create relationships, both business and personal. I mean, isn't that why people own homes for the last 10 or 12,000 years? Okay, that, that's the reason. It yeah. was not an investment. It's only an investment recently. And I don't think it's like... The real thing is you should have been, you should have had an opportunity to open a business. Obviously COVID put everybody in the blocks for, uh, well, you know, we say that COVID put everybody in the blocks for a year, but in reality, if you're a real estate agent or a mortgage broker, not so much, right? Or if you're a government worker, you didn't notice any any change in your income whatsoever. You got exactly the same amount of money as, as you did. And you got to work from home. You didn't have to spend any money in transit. You didn't have to spend any, your car sat in the in the in the garage for four months. I mean, you saved all kinds of money. Um, so it's been very unfair, um, particularly unfair to women uh, who, let's face it, I don't know too many guys who were doing all the doing the school the, the schooling at home for their. I think it was more the women in the household did it. I think the women in the household probably did twice as much work, and the kind of work that they did is in, in many cases the most effective. So my message is that it's that it's an economic mistake to predicate your economy on 
people selling each other houses. I mean, it's 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 not a way to build a successful society or successful home. Oh, I think that's a great uh, point to end on. And I think we covered a lot of stuff and uh, we didn't get your secret sauce for your solutions, but uh, you're not at liberty to say, so we'll have to just pay attention to your Twitter and maybe you'll drop some hints in there. Some That's uh, actually, so that's the, that stuff that's not going on Twitter either. <laughs> okay, uh, well, I'm but, still... I mean, like, so, some of this stuff is like a, a nuclear bomb. I mean, yeah. like, it just makes people angry and it's... Uh, I, and by the way, as I, I, had, I emphasize it, I want to finish off by saying that, look, when prices do come down, some people are going to get hurt. Yeah, and I don't want anybody to be hurt, but I'm not in control of it. I'm not. It's going to happen one way or the other. You can't have the price of a house in Guelph go up forty percent in uh, fourteen months, fifteen months, and think that that is going to be just fine. Doesn't make sense. And uh, even like even that. some of the stock stuff that's going on seems a little crazy too. With you got your bitcoins, your Tesla, and your all you know the crypto world and all this stuff. Uh, Quick piece of advice, Derek, never say anything bad about Bitcoin on Twitter. People will come to your house and burn it down. Okay, That's too uh, too late for me, not the burning down part, but I've already said my piece and yeah. <laughs> it's a whole cult. And uh, I do own, to full disclosure, I own four shares of that new Bitcoin ETF that came out. Uh, sure. One of those, just because I want to be in the, the party. But, uh, you know. I don't have any actual Bitcoin. I could have bought some coins uh, when, the, you know, when it first came out, I, I had a Bitcoin wallet, but I wouldn't have known when to sell. I would have, I wouldn't have hold it. I held it. I would have sold when it hit 500 or something. Right. So. But that's not the important thing. The important thing is never say anything bad about it on Twitter. People will come to your house. Okay. That's for sure. They'll find you. You say well, anything. I'm just going to slowly back away from social media. <laughs> <I know. laughs> anyway, Ron, it was uh, so nice to meet Good you. Talk and talk to you. Great talking to you. Pleasure. Okay. Real pleasure. Yeah, it was great. It was great. And all the best. And uh, all the best to Canadians trying to buy a home. We'll see what happens. Thanks a lot. Take care. All right. Take care.